Welcome back to Cows Internal Monologue. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be discussing Chapter 6 of Baptism of Fire. But before we get there, um, it, of course, I took the hiatus. We're now back. Uh, the hiatus uh, slash update uh, file will most likely be deleted because it's no longer relevant. And uh, any important information I'll relay here. Um, as I said, I had to take the break for a variety of reasons, the, the most prominent of which obviously is the fact that I had eye surgery, um, and I, I only had one eye done, and I'm going to have to have the other in October, which means there may be yet, be yet another hiatus this year. Um, I'm still working out the logistics on that and whether it's going to be a hiatus or not. Uh, it really depends, as it is. It, it takes me several months to recover. Um, I, I suffer from keratoconus. Uh, feel free to look it up to understand, uh, you know, what it is. And uh, basically, the surgery was to stop its progression. Effectively, uh, I will be light sensitive for the next several months. And then, of course, right afterwards, after I fully recover, I get the other eye done, which means it's a vicious cycle. So uh, I'm going to try and get these out in a timely manner. There may be some delays here and there, but I'm going to try my best. Um, and as I said, in October, there may be yet another hiatus. Um, and on top of all that, there were situations with my grandmother, her dementia diagnosis, and, uh, and, uh, it becoming progressive going into Alzheimer's, among many other things. Uh, so, um, you know, that's why I elected to make the, the decision to take the hiatus that I did. Um, and now that I am back, hopefully we can get things in high gear again. As I said, me and Josh have some plans, uh, beyond Witcher. Not only do we have our own podcast that's going to be coming out uh, once we have all uh, the first season recorded, but there's a, he's going to have a guest spot on this very podcast. Uh, that doesn't have to do with The Witcher, but that will come after we're done with Witcher. Okay, so now let's get talking Witcher again after so long. So chapter 6 is primarily the true formation of the Lodge. There's actually a lot going on here. Uh, some, uh, you know, basically the, the majority of the focus is Yennefer and her deal with Francesca and the formation of the Lodge. That is the core of this chapter. There are two smaller steps, uh, sections of the chapter uh, that will go on to become important. Uh, but the main focus, of course, is the Lodge. We find out, finally, what happened to Yennefer after the Thanet coup. You know, she she said that she loved Siri and was expecting to not make it through, and then she disappeared and no one knows what happened to her. Well, it turns out she has been compressed into a jade figurine um, and is um, basically uh, being hidden away in Dolblathana by, uh, you know, Francesca Vendebeer to use at her whim. If you remember at the beginning of the book, she negotiated for three seats on the lodge. Herself, one additional uh, the, uh, appointed as per everybody else's. You know, you get yourself plus one additional. She negotiated to get a second one, a total of three seats. And everybody speculated, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? Turns out it was Yennefer. Uh, of course, the other one, of course, is Ida Eamon. She unpacks Yen, and according to a small offhanded remark by Ida, the, basically the compression in the Jade Figurine is supposedly in part of Ithleen's prophecy in some portion 
Um, and we, of course, open this chapter with an excerpt about how the legend of, uh, you know, Lara Doran and her curse has been exaggerated to the point that even Francesca says when she's relaying some information that it has become so entwined with hyperbole, racial tensions, prejudices, biases, propaganda, uh, and fairy tales that it's almost unrecognizable from the real story. As such, Ithleen's prophecy is probably went through the same thing. Matter of fact, we open next chapter, the final chapter of the book, uh, you know, with an exact explanation of that, actually, that um, it has been used to describe various things. So who's to say this is what it was really describing? It can be twisted in any number of ways. Who's to say it's true? Which is part of the commentary, but that will become more important in later bits. And Francesca um, basically gives Yen a non-choice. The choice is, you know, join the lodge and side with me or go your own way. But the go your own way is never explicitly said. Francesca just says she, you have a choice, and I would prefer if you choose the uh, the lodge. And naturally, when you're in that kind of situation, the power dynamics are so off that the there really wasn't a choice. Jennifer knew, and she even points this out, that it was effectively a non-choice. I was to join the lodge or who knows what else. As it is, and the, her scene, both her major scenes, uh, after her decompression, um, and she's recovering, versus when she's sitting down and talking with Francesca, Yennefer has this way of dealing with Francesca that shows that, yeah, she is vulnerable, and yes, she knows she's at Francesca's mercy, you know, at her severance right now. Um, and so she can't cross certain lines, but she also won't bend. Uh, she does not give Francesca a, a firm answer at any point. She um, and additionally, like when when she lies, um, you know, in in the fountain, just exhausted, hurting, um, and she, you know, embarrasses herself, you know, because she's so dehydrated and she ends up you know, peeing in the water. You know, it's just it's not a good time. You know, the the biological effects of decompression are you know very not fun but Francesca never showed any remorse for it. it was just kind of like yeah whatever I you know she's a useful tool you know makes it pointed to go no I like it here I'm not moving or other small lines that says yes I understand I have no choice in this matter and I understand yes um at any point in time you could kill me but I'm also going to exert my authority and say you have some power over me but not completely. That's a very good thing to do, but also it shows that these are very good tacticians, very good negotiators in many ways, because Francesca's plan ultimately is a clever one. There are several reasons she wants to do this. First, Ciri's elder blood is related to the elves in some way. Some know the full story, and we get part of the full story in this chapter, but not all of it. And uh, we know that Yen is well known to be the caregiver for Siri. So basically getting Yen on the council, on the lodge, uh, at her behest makes her have leverage over Yen, which in turn makes her have leverage over Siri. Additionally, um, it plays into the placating of the elves that she knows that humans 
um, you know, humans and elves never get along well. And um, she even talks about there's a, there's a point where she feels insulted to speak in the common speak because it is so foreign to her or some other race purity crap. You know, that's pretty typical of a lot of elves of her stature. Um, and so getting Gen, who is quarter elf on the lodge under her behest, basically allows her to leverage things. Uh, a, a gopher, if you will, uh, a, a man in between or a woman in between. Um, it's kind of a clever move. Plus, it shows that she has sway in the fact that she negotiated with it with Philippa and was the only one to get three seats. That implies an implicit power imbalance that perhaps some of the lot are willing to sway her in order to get her cooperation because she is, after all, the only representative of the elves. You know, the other representative is uh, one of her proxies, Ida, which means, well, uh, without them, elves don't have a presence on this lodge, which is kind of, you know, not good for their larger, um, you know, goal of ensuring magic's place as the center of all. Um, and, and I like how, again just basically tries to navigate this entire situation in a way that she's clearly not comfortable with and uh but she's trying to figure out a way to make it work uh there's a there's a line with like the lodge won't allow you to wage a one woman mission to save siri we all know that's what yen's after uh even they know it uh, but she's trying to navigate it. When when Francesca brings up what happened to Kira on Thanet of, uh, you know, she's like, uh, Yen was like, the, the fact he didn't fuck her, uh, you know, uh, you know, points to the fact he didn't have time, not for lack of respect. It shows that anything that they are throwing at her to try and leverage something at her, she's immediately dismissing. And basically, you no... Know, you do have the ultimate power in this situation, but no. And is trying to assert her authority. As she says later, you know, disinformation is a weapon that needs to be keep, kept sharp. So, you know, there's this, you know, there's this implication that she knows that there is other stuff going on here beyond just magic Illuminati. There's, you know, it feels targeted in a way. What she finds out when she does go to the lodge, that uh, uh, when they all appear at the lodge and, uh, you know, we get the, the explanation of the Ansevern, who are uh, elven mages from the Blue Mountains who may or may not have prophetic abilities, um, you know, um, we meet Frangilla, and Frangilla, uh, there's a specific rivalry between Yen. Uh, you know, I met you at Sodden Hill. There's an implication there. Never said outright, but implied uh, that Fringilla was the one that blinded Yen, that her spell was the one that caused that injury to her. Um, and so everything is just kind of targeted towards Yen to break her down, some of it intentional, some of it not at all, uh, like Fringilla being there, uh, Philippa is trying to navigate it where her belief, and she points this out in this, is that political neutrality, I pointed this out when they had the first unofficial meeting when Philippa proposed the idea of the Lodge, but the Lodge is politically neutral. What she means by politically neutral isn't neutrality, it's just a, I've picked a side that 
is a benefit for this particular group. It's like almost the reverse of Geralt, where Geralt is given these two choices, decides neither of them, focuses on him and his family, and that's it, and that's declared a sort of neutrality, in my opinion. It's not exactly neutrality, but it, you know, it skirts the line. Philippa basically says, well, we're going to influence events, we're going to get kings to do what we want, we're going to get queens to do what we want, and blah, 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 blah. Um, all in service of this higher power that they seek, which is magic. They want magic to be the key to everything. Um, that there should be a magic bloodline that runs through the royalty, because no sorcerer has ever been in power. Uh, first of all, there was the agreement, you know, hundreds of years ago that we that, that we heard about from Vilgefortz when Vilgefortz was showing Geralt the, the paintings in Thanet. But beyond that, you know, there's there's customs, there's uh, tradition, there is uh, royal, royal bloodline and genetic stuff sort of wrapped all into one where no one would accept a sorcerer or sorceress in power. So they gotta contrive a way to get one on there, which is her entire plan for Ciri, ultimately, is Ciri is a Aldecentrin bloodline, which means that she is a not only a royal, but an important bargaining chip because Centra lies, hence the name, in between several different major powers, um, and she has magical abilities. Yennefer was teaching her magic. Of course, no one knows that she's given those up yet. Um, uh, only Siri knows that, but, uh, you know, uh, that's what they think. She's all wrapped in one as sort of the perfect proxy for them to act through. And, of course, the way they talk about Siri aggravates Yen the entire time. We, we never see it directly through Yen's eyes. We're seeing it through other people's eyes. Specifically, a lot of the meeting is told uh, through Triss's, uh, you know, perspective, uh, etc. And it's always mentioned, you know, Yen grasps, you know, the chair, you know, angrily, and she seems upset because they're not treating Siri like a person. There is no talk about Ciri's choice, her personhood, what she can be, you know, if given the choice, what what she's supposed to be like, whether she should have a childhood or not. That is never in the question. It is this is who Ciri is, and this is who she shall be, and what the, and here's her next, you know, fifty years of life planned out right here, the end of story. Yen sees her daughter being treated as nothing but a thing, an object. And, that, and that's part of the thing, is that everybody is after Ciri. And none of them, with the exception of the two characters that care about her, Yennefer and Geralt, ever think about who Ciri is. Ask her who she wants to be, what she wants to be. No one gave her a choice. And Yennefer is seeing that and being disgusted by it. Uh, just like, you know, she, her livelihood, her ability to have children was taken away from her. Uh, you know, there is that hint of choice, and choice meaning a lot to someone like Yennefer. And thus, naturally, she feels the same way for Siri. You know, even Triss, as much as she functions as the... Um, you know, the a loyalist to the Lodge, effectively. She still is kind of concerned about the way they talk about Ciri, that there isn't 
the sense of personhood. She spent time with Syria Karamoran. She sees her as like a little sister of sorts. And all she got out of that, you know, all 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 she gets out of the, the lodge meaning is that Siri is a royal who could be married off and has magical abilities, which can then be used in the next course of years to bring magic to the forefront, create a magical royal bloodline, blah, 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 blah. No talk of Sirni as a human at all. No mention. And that even discuss her, though she is, you know, at the end of the day, she is young, she is naive, and she is loyal to those she considers to be in the right, which... While she doesn't agree with the way they're talking, she does believe in the Lodge, whereas Yen has no belief in it whatsoever, uh, which is demonstrated at the end. But um, I like how the different um, personalities are really clashing in the Lodge, too. Like, you got, of course, Yen, who's like the, the, the absolute wild card outlier. She does not want to be here, does not like what they're talking about, is absolutely disgusted. Then you have, you know, Triss, who's divided. You have Frangilla, who is, you know, a Nilfgaardian sorceress who's never really met a whole lot of northern sorceresses. And we even open with this chapter of her coming to the meeting and expecting this gaudy display of extravagance and hedonism and being greeted by nothing of the sort. And of course, they do have those. Um, Thanid was full of a lot of that. Uh, but not here, and that confuses Fringilla, and of course, when they're very concerned about the war, and what's going on there, and how Temeria has expelled all mages from their borders, and blah, 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 she's very confused, because Nilfgaard is perfect, Nilfgaard brings order, and stability, and culture, and everybody else, you know, does not come from that, they don't, they weren't taught, they weren't brainwashed from birth to believe in this. And, and so, uh, you know, she's having her assumptions, you know, countered, while Francesca uh, is clearly trying to maneuver, while also Philippus maneuvering against her, as well as uh, trying to, uh, in a weird way, sort of try and uh, point out that, uh, you know, there's a human bias to his, which comes in the play with the, uh, with not only the Elder Blood talk about how it originated from elves, but also from the why do we must speak in, uh, uh, the common speech, it's, it's very foreign to me. The entire situation with the Elder Blood, we get an explanation of the genetics involved, of how, and, and we get a full explanation of what Falka's rebellion was, what its purpose was, um, and how everything kind of spiraled out of control. So, you know, Lara, you know, was a, you know, we don't fully know the story behind what the Elder Blood gene was or what its purpose was. We'll get to that later. But effectively, she had it, and then uh, she fell in love with a human. Uh, it became impure, and then she was, you know, the Kruganen was assassinated. She was hunted down and killed. There's different explanations of what, how her death was like and what happened, whether there was a curse or not. The curse could be a fairy tale extrapolation of the genetics involved, possibly. There's a lot of theories going on there. And then, you know, the... As time passed on, that genetic, you know, the genetic material spread, um, and basically it spreads across two lines, uh, that, uh, the female line has the innate gene, and it primarily spouts through their line, 
the uh, the male line of descendants carry the activator gene. Um, and when the innate and the activator are within the same person, predominantly, of course, female, the elder blood becomes noticeable. What the elder blood's purpose is, we don't know exactly, but we do know that it was a complicated thing um, involving ancient magic started in the elves, transferred over to humans and half-elves, and the mages were a part of it. That, uh, you know, Falka's Rebellion was um, in part related to it. Um, you know, the, the Hartburg Castle and the Triplet Conundrum, which Tessia and Francesca were a part of, you know, uh, that Falka, you know, was a thrown away daughter who rose out to reclaim her quote-unquote rightful place. Um, and it, you know, it turned, it, it spiraled out of control, started out as a, a bickering between, uh, you know, royals, turned into a peasant revolt, um, and then eventually just ended in disaster, and who's to know whether Falke was, was truly crazy or, or innocent, or who knows, at the end of the day, does it really matter, because it spiraled all out of control and became hearsay, but... Then Rhiannon in the heart in the Hardbrook Castle stuff, you know, one of the kids was Falka's, you know, two of them were Rhiannon's. So which ones were they? They did experiments trying to figure out, you know, the mages tried to figure out. Of course, uh, they, they in order to prevent the bloodshed from going further, to try and end this reign of terror and misery, they lied, and and you know, effectively, they believe Adela was Falka's. Uh, she died due to the plague. However, uh, Amaved uh, was assassinated, uh, leaving Fiona the only descendant to uh, fully be able to have children. However, Amaved had sired children with a lover, and so the bloodline went down from there. And we know Ciri has seen Fulka, um, you know, uh, and taken up the name of Fulka, implying that there is some sort of connection there, and which is brought up in the fact that who's to say? Because uh, they they were looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for the full-blown elder blood gene, not really taking into account that it was two separate genes that went down two separate lines, which means who's, who knows? At the end of the day, does it matter? We're, we're, this is, you know, a long, long time ago, and now we're dealing with the after effects. Of course, the, the coming of the elder blood has become sort of a, a thing uh, you know, a myth, a legend, a prophecy, the end times, blah, 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 uh, the white frost, um, and does it really matter? Um, and, and that's, that's ultimately the concern, especially with Yennefer, of this is my child they're talking about, this is not, you know, just a thing, this isn't just us playing God, and of course it gets even more complicated because we find out that when the mages had figured uh, out how the gene actually worked and how it passed down, they manipulated things, you know, uh, giving aphrodisiacs to the correct people, giving uh, contraceptives to the right people, effectively attempting to persuade and get, get the, the line to go down a certain path. Genetic engineering, eugenics. Um, it's not, um, you know, it's not a nice thing, um, and Yen played some part in it, because, you know, she is one of Tizay's favorite students, and, uh, you know, Tizay was there at the, you know, Hartberg triplet situation, um, and so, uh, it's just, 
overly complicated and messy and genetics are just a pain in the ass and at the end of the day does it really matter Siri is Siri who she came from isn't it's inconsequential but to everyone but the people that truly care it means everything but to Siri to Yennefer to Geralt it's nothing Siri is Siri and that is the tragedy here which is why Yen desperately wants to get out of here. Of course, Fringilla helps her with the, the, the oyster trick to get around the teleportation blockades. And we'll find out what's going to happen there. Why did Fringilla help her? Was there a particular reason? She's Nilfgaardian and she is in some ways patriotic, but not completely. You know, she is, um, you know, loyal to the Lodge, kind of. Um, she is a complicated person. She blinded Jennifer, at least that's the hint, at Sodden. If nothing has felt, she faced her in combat. So why help her? That is an interesting question, and it's, a, it's one that will be built upon as Fringilla is examined in later bits. Now, the other side stories that aren't the Lodge. Of course, Siri and the rats. Um, so Siri finally kind of just tries to shut out Missile and like, I'm tired of this, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's Stockholm Syndrome that is very clear. She even expressly mentions it. Like, it, it's not like word for word, oh, I have Stockholm Syndrome because Stockholm doesn't mean anything in the Witcher universe. But, you know, basically, I don't want to be alone. That's why I allow you to touch me that way, do things to me that way. That's, that's, that's the explanation, you know, implying that there is a psychological reason, a Stockholm Syndrome, if you will, that there isn't truly love there, but who knows? Um, you know, that, that's the complicated thing is she's in the middle of trauma, stress, Stockholm Syndrome, who knows what else. She's a mess currently, and she's trying to make the best out of her life. And, of course, the best out of her life right now is shit and misery for a lot of people, shit and misery for herself, and taking the light and killing, and sleeping with a, a murderer and a rapist. And it's not a good time. But they, of course, attack the wagons of the Von Hagens, and um, Siri confronts a little girl there who's wearing a unicorn brooch, which reminds her of Little Horse. But... The big thing is, is that it's a little girl of a royal family who's, you know, important in a certain area, but for the most part is inconsequential, whose life has just been turned upside down. And Siri is the one that turned it upside down. And she's completely ruthless. Siri effectively, symbolically, confronts herself and does nasty things to herself. And so... Is Siri gone? Is Siri unforgivable? Is she irredeemable now? Is there a way for Siri, or Falka in this case, to become the Siri we all know and love? She's still there somewhere. Another question that will be examined. Um, and then uh, Stefan uh, finally hires a mercenary to take out the rats, uh, and he in the mercenary one Leo Bonhart, 
uh, plans to, uh, you know, deal with the rats and take the reward for dealing with specifically Falka for Stefan Skillen, but also take out the rats and collect a reward for taking them out for the Von Hagens. Um, so he, you know, he's a, he's a consummate professional at heart. Um, and there's just, you know, he's introduced in this small inconsequential matter. Um, it's one small scene, but we do get a sense that there is, he's a professional. And professionals in that line of work aren't very nice people. The, the quote Wolverine, I'm the best at what I do, and what I do is not very nice. So, yeah, Leo Bonhunt makes his first appearance. It'll become important next book. What a bastard. Um, then, Dijkstra's small scene coming upon the crime scene of uh, who he suspects was uh, Vilgefort's crime scene of these uh, in an entire well of bones and a woman completely desiccated, her womb removed, uh, a, uh, a specifically designed chair to um, operate on a woman in a very immodest and very cruel manner. Um, it is a sight of di pure disgustingness. Dijkstra fully believes that if Vilgefort's behind this, there is no extreme evidence. The only evidence is that whoever torched the place, likely Ryant, was sloppy. Uh, so, you know, but they they have a feeling it's Vilgefort's. We'll be coming back to that later. Uh, so, very important chapter, especially for Yen, getting her where she needs to go, setting up some small stuff here and there, Leo, Bonhart, and of course... Um, Vilgefortz and his experimentations, which are grotesque, um, as well as explaining the genetic side, or at least half of the genetic story of the Elder Blood. We'll get into more explanations as time goes on, especially next book and Lady of the Lake. Um, so thank you for uh, joining me, uh, and hopefully my return was worth it hopefully it was fun it was entertaining um and uh you know this being a yen focused episode or a yen focused chapter was really nice because it allowed me to kick in the gear and examine you know especially because this th this chapter really puts her through the ringer because she's divided between different loyalties and who she can trust who's her friends who's her family and she's in a very vulnerable place right now um, and she finally goes rogue in a way that still makes her incredibly vulnerable because Frangilla knows where she is, who's to say who else doesn't, and what's going on there, and where did she go, and in we got a setup for a bunch of stuff, so it's a very strong chapter. It's the penultimate chapter of the book. Next time it will be the end of Bounties of Fire, and of course we will come back with Tower of Swallows. As I said, I may take another hiatus in October. But, um, anyways, Josh will, of course, be back for at least a chapter or two, um, and, uh, we have some big plans on the horizon for this podcast and the other one, uh, Elevator Bullpen, uh, and thanks for sticking around do the, the, I guess, third hiatus of this, uh, of this entire, um, podcast since I had the one for the mental health break and then the COVID break and then now you know my eye surgery break and so I'm gonna have another one in October so it's just it's a mess uh but hey thank you again sorry for the hiatus had no choice and uh see you next time bye